Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily local sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can subscribe to this show on all of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Tell a friend about Locked On NFL and let them know their team is covered here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. We teased the Hall of Famers. We've got to talk about this centennial class of Hall of Famers, Matt. Some familiar names, some not so familiar names on the list, and a couple of interesting stories first to hit here uh, that relate to the NFL from the LSU National Championship. Have you seen the latest on Odell Beckham? Just the headline. I I don't know the the true details of it here. I saw the video, and (laughs) the, the report reads that the New Orleans police department has obtained an arrest warrant for Odell Beckham accusing him of simple battery because he slapped the rear end of a New Orleans police officer in the LSU <laughs> locker room during the celebration post game Monday night. I saw the video and I don't know if this is before or after he started handing out cash to the LSU players for winning the national championship game. They might be in trouble for, and some players might be in trouble if they accepted some of this cash from Odell Beckham. Um, Just, just another day in Odell Beckham's life of just riding that edge of, is he out of his darn mind or is, is he just having fun with life? And I saw the video and it's not like battery, but it was really like, why would you think you could go put your hands on a cop ever? Right. I mean, although when you explain it, like I thought it was like out on the streets, Bourbon Street, everyone out partying. And then you mentioned, I mean, it's in the locker room. That's kind of a different situation to me. Is it smart? Of course not. You saw the video. I mean, just by reading and what you told me, I am shocked that they're pressing charges. I mean, was did he smack him hard? I mean, was the cop offended? Like, how, how did it go? Well, it was the cop was surprised by it. The cop was actually talking to another LSU player, asking about. I think maybe he was he thought he had something illegal in one of his cups. I don't know why he was asking. It's hard to see because it's, there's no audio. It's just video from what I saw. And Odell comes up behind the cop who is there's two cops. He, become, he comes behind one of them that's talking to a different LSU player and smacks him in the butt kind of hard, but it, and it wasn't like playful, like, hey, we won a national championship, cop, high five, or low five. He, it was like, hey, stop talking to him, and then, he, and then they faced each other for a second, but it's not like the cop at the time arrested him, but apparently the police department saw that later and was like, you can't do that, man. So uh, I don't think anything big is going to come of it, but maybe he gets into a little bit of trouble with the league and... Maybe he has to uh, do some community service or uh, has to plead into something. I don't know, but he did. Uh, he smacked a cop on the butt, and uh, that's something that I would not recommend anybody to ever do, even if it was more <laughs> playful at, you know, in, in that sort of a mood in that sort of locker room environment. I'm, I'm glad you described it because my thoughts, even after you read, read the, the story headlines and stuff, was champagne's going off, everyone's happy, high fives left and right. Smack him on the butt. Okay, maybe you're a little exuberant. But, and I, I don't, I hesitate to go down this road, but this is kind of how AB started. You know what I mean? Like, people would just kind of yeah. dismiss little things. Like, that's odd. Maybe you shouldn't do that. You're driving real fast on a street. You shouldn't. 
oh, you're throwing furniture out of your out of your off your balcony, or you're going live on Facebook Live or whatever, and and then it escalates. And I'm not saying that that will happen to Odell, but does anyone ever tell him no? <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, the, I think that's one of the things you. you Fame is crazy, man. And you see it with politicians. You see it with people who are famous in Hollywood. You see it with pro athletes. Fame and money, it, it does weird things to people. And yeah. and if you're already weird to begin with, it could maybe push you <laughs> off the deep end. And I think we're seeing that with A.B. And uh, we talked a little bit about this before going on the air about uh, Antonio Brown and his very public, I mean, I don't know what he was doing, felt bad for his children, live I mean, he's live streaming his own breakdown, basically. And and he's just like bad mouthing these police and dropping F bombs at him and all and his I don't know who the girl was, if that was an ex wife or ex girlfriend or or current wife or girlfriend, but his kids are there too and He's right. going through all this, and he's videoing it himself. It's not like someone like saying, "Hey, oh, look, AB's going crazy," and got a video of it. He's at his own house, acting insane. You have to wonder what's going on there. And now he's getting in an argument with a, a YouTube guy, and maybe they have a a, a fight lined up. I had a, a boxing matches. It's crazy, dude. That I don't right, know. right. I mean, they just seem like they're not the same human being. I'm not comparing them directly, but it's a similar path. And the AB one has gone very, very bad. Um, I'm just thinking from a football perspective. I mean, I do believe say what you want about the the giants GM. I think they just wanted Odell out knowing that they were bringing a young quarterback in uh, much like the Steelers when they dumped the AB and giants got a lot more from him in return. Is Stefanski the hammer that the Browns need to keep these guys or keep Odell on the straight and narrow? Um, I heard Mike Lombardi talking about it a little bit, saying Odell's the type of guy people follow too. Like, I mean, he's if he's doing it, others are going to try to do the same. I just think it's combustible. I mean, I, for like for fantasy reasons, I thought Odell was going to have was going to be the number one wide receiver in football this year. I mean, I drafted him super high, and I never draft wide receivers high. He was bad. He was hurt. I mean, he did very little. Like things aren't going well for him. You yeah, you have to get worried at some point, and the worry level isn't a b high, but I think no, I think the teams will tell you the story eventually. If if you are a team and the Browns call you about Odell, that's how you know to say no to right. that. You know, right. you hang up the phone call. But um, he has a chance here to to figure things out and and not go down the AB path and AB is a unique situation because he's so far gone. And for somebody who is relatively healthy and who has played really great football recently and should today be able to play great football and a team doesn't want to touch him. That's scary. And uh, I don't see, obviously you said it, you don't see Odell going that far down the path, but he's, I hope not. He's, I mean, he's he's being enough of a weirdo to, to cause himself some problems. He probably doesn't really need. Yeah, right. I mean, even very early in his career, the boat stuff or whatever, you know, like there's always been something. And um, when there's smoke, there's fire, you know, I mean, he's a distraction and his play needs to improve to warrant that kind of distraction. And also, if you are giving away cash to the players, you're you're hurting them, too. You're hurting LSU and you're putting them in, you know, putting them in a situation where they could get in trouble for accepting cash and, and things like that. So that's not smart. Just. You think you're helping a guy out by giving him cash, but it, it might not help too much in the it's long illegal. run. It's right. illegal. Yeah. <laughs> you were a player once. Don't you know yeah. that that's not, it's, that's frowned upon? Right. And you're not going to get in trouble for it, but somebody else is. 
Sure. And $100 doesn't mean anything to you or whatever, but it does to the backup guard that doesn't have anything and can't afford pizza money. <laughs> uh, I didn't think we were going to talk this long about this stuff. So uh, when we come back, I want to talk about some players who are coming back. Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Legend is not hanging him up, which is great. Slightly different that. receiver mentality. Yes, yeah, quite different. Right, yeah, right. Absolutely. And I want to ask you about Big Ben because they still don't have a timeline for his recovery. That coming up next. Can you believe it's conference championship week? 49ers, Packers, a really good one in the AFC too with the Titans at Chiefs. Time's up for two of these teams playing this weekend, but you still have time to feed your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching a game. Quite like having a free shot at over $750,000 with your first deposit. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. Download the DraftKings app now and use code LOCKEDON. That's one word, locked on for a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. New users, be sure to enter code locked on during sign up and you'll also get a free shot at over $750,000 with your first deposit. That's code locked on and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Let's finish up our conversation about wide receivers, and I don't think you can handle yourself any differently than uh, Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham and Larry Fitzgerald, who is coming back to the Cardinals for another year, maybe a farewell tour here for Larry Fitzgerald. And I like it, man. Uh, we talked about it yesterday when it came to the retirement of Luke Keekley, and some players, they, they want to go out on their own terms and, and hang them up early while they're still young and, and still leave that memory of them being super athletic and, and not having any long-term effects on their body. Larry Fitzgerald somehow has not had a ton of in injuries. I don't think he's going to be one of those players that's limping around when he's in his 40s too bad, and we'll see there. But I also respect the idea that you want to play every single down that your body will let you because it's such a unique ability and to be one of the few players that's able to play at a level that Larry Fitzgerald has, why not play every down that you can? So I can totally see both sides of that mindset for a player who wants to hang on as long as he can or the guy who wants to hang him up early. Yeah, and we've seen Gronk and Luck and some of these other guys retire around 30 and save their bodies a little more, and they have many, many millions in the bank. Not that Larry doesn't. Um, and I think we will see more of that as a trend going forward. Um, but... I, I was happy to hear Larry coming back because does he still have it? Is he still a Pro Bowl guy? No, but he can, his type of game of being a contested ball catcher, going up and getting it, you usually don't fall off a cliff. I mean, he, he never, he's not going to be a great separator, but he still, if he's, if he's covered, he can still go make plays. They have a lot of really young receivers. I bet they add another or two, and I'm sure that they love, him being in the wide receiver meeting room and teaching them how to be a pro, all the little tricks of the trade. So I think that's his value to the team. 
almost in somewhat of a coaching capacity. And trust me, he loves the game. I mean, like everyone always talks about, he's such a great guy. I mean, he slept with the football in college. I mean, like never, I mean, that's an odd thing. I mean, it, it's just so much, he, he loved it so much. And he had this in you know, his locker, as soon as you'd open his locker at eye level, he had an NFL um, sticker. So it was the first thing he thought about when he opened his locker. That was his goal. I mean, and he didn't drink in college. Like he didn't go out he, because he didn't want anything to interfere with his NFL dream because how much he loved it. Like I, I often tell the story. He always, he, he rarely left the facility. He'd come bug me because he didn't want to go roam campus and hang out with his buds. He wanted to do more football stuff. And I think he loves it. And I mentioned too, you know, like I'd watch his Valley Forge military tape and for fun, he'd go play linebacker for a snap or for a series or two or safety or just to hit people and get involved. And remember when he got, um, when Arians got there, he moved to the slot and he became a wham blocker and, you know, putting his body in harm's way. And he's always been a really good blocker. So he loves it. I mean, uh, it doesn't shock me. That he's coming back. I'm happy. He did. At one point I was thinking, boy, I hope he doesn't cause he'll tarnish his legacy. But I mean, if he has a similar season, that's not going to be the case. And I mentioned right before we recorded this, that maybe we'll be able to field a Twitter question or two, but JDS writes to us a lot. And he asked, where would you put, uh, what, where's fits on the all time list for you for wide receivers? And I'm curious where you think of it, but I think Rice is one, Moss is two, Larry's probably four, five, six ish, something like that. And, and JDS mentions Warner was great, Palmer was really good, but there was a stretch there where he had Skelton and I mean, just some horrendous quarterbacks year after year. Absolutely. I have no problems arguing Larry Fitzgerald any anywhere after one. He's a very different guy than Randy Moss. I would definitely put Randy mm-hmm. Moss, too, on my personal list. And I think some of the younger fans out there I've seen really want to argue Randy Moss, one, because they saw the receding hairline Seattle Seahawks version of Jerry Rice. And yeah, sure, so unless sure. you saw the, you know, the the late 80s up until his torn ACL version of Jerry Rice in the 90s, then you might not appreciate how fantastic he was. And it wasn't just about playing a long time, even though he did and, and put his his numbers in a, in a crazy place that nobody's ever going to touch. But Larry Fitzgerald, three, I would buy that argument absolutely. I, I think he deserves to be in that top five uh, all time. And he's very different than than those two guys. But... If you want to talk about a possession receiver, you need a first down. I don't know if there's anybody in their prime I would take over Larry Fitzgerald. Right. I mean, had some of those Chris Carter qualities, but bigger, better, in my opinion. Um, I think Julio's right at the top of the list, too. I mean, some of the guys nowadays, their, their numbers get so inflated that it's not fair to compare. But, I mean, Julio's like the most productive receiver in NFL history on a per-game basis. Um, Calvin Johnson to me is yeah. one that I know didn't play super long, but if I got to line up and cover someone for a day, Calvin would be really low on my list to do that again. Yeah. I would not want to line up straight up with <laughs> right. Calvin Johnson. That's scary. I would put Calvin just be, I don't I would put him one spot ahead of Julio. I think from the more recent category of wide receivers, mm-hmm. I just saw some old clips. There's a lot of old stuff going around about the 49ers and past games against the Packers and things. I saw an old prime Terrell Owens 49ers clip. And I forgot he's how, really high for me too. I forgot how fast he was with his size. He's Larry yeah. Fitzgerald's size. He was athletic after the catch, and you kind of forget when you when you haven't seen guys play in a while in their prime, and you remember their the end of their careers. 
So uh, T.O. is definitely in that top five. Calvin Johnson, I would have Larry Fitzgerald maybe four or five. I probably have to put T.O. over Larry Fitzgerald too. But that, that's a, yeah, it's a great group to be involved with. And maybe in the offseason when we have more time, we can dig deeper into these and, and sort of solidify some of our lists on, on wide receivers in some other positions. I think that would be pretty fun. Yeah, it would be. I've done it in the past. I mean, it's always fun to redo it, and my list would probably change every time I do it. Have you ever seen T.O. in person? I know you're a Niners guy. Uh, I've seen him not right next to me, but in the same building as me across the room. And I'm always blown away anytime you see an NFL player because they're just massive, gargantuan human beings. When you see them next to each other, they don't look as big as they do. NBA players are the same way. Steph Curry. I stood next to Steph Curry. I'm 6'4". He's like an inch shorter than me. You think he's a little baby man on the court. He's a tall dude. He's taller than most <laughs> people in the guy, world. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, my point with T.O. was we played against him. I think he was an Eagle when I was with the Browns. And him in his uniform, warming up with the other receivers, looked like a cartoon character. I mean, he was just so long and so well-built. Like, somebody drew him with a pen and pencil. I mean, he was the prototype. And he's another one back to our Odell and A.B. story. I mean, if he wasn't such a pain in the butt, I mean, if he could have stuck with the Niners since day one, I mean, wow. That's sort of the the path. That's what you tell Odell probably. If you're in his ear and you're somebody in the Browns organization, you're like, hey, here's A.B., here's T.O. These guys mm-hmm. did themselves no favors. Don't go down that path. Here's Larry. Yeah, here's Larry, yeah. <laughs> right. Go talk to Larry. Yeah. Here's Larry's phone number, in fact. Maybe work out with him in the offseason. Right. And I just said I'd rather uh, – the T.O. was better than Larry, but I wouldn't rather have T.O. than Larry. I, I agree. I totally agree there. Let's see. Um, you know, actually, speaking of body size, one player that w- I compared to Luke Keekley after we talked about his retirement and Patrick Willis, I think Terrell Owens weighed more at one point in his career than Patrick Willis. When I saw Patrick Willis wow. up close without his uniform on, one of the nicest guys ever, by the way. He, like, he's the, he's, the, he's the prototype for those players that are violent on the field and the nicest dudes ever off the field. He, he was built like a wide receiver. If you saw Patrick Wilson, you said, what position does he play? You'd say, oh, you know, he's a wide, he's a big wide receiver. That's what he looked like. He was Patrick Wilson. Willis was absolutely built for speed. And I know we were tagged in some conversations about comparisons to Luke Keekley and someone threw another name out there. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. Zach Thomas. I don't like it. Do you like it? No, I, I've seen that a lot. I know that he's very popular. I mean, I think he was one of the most well-loved dolphins of that generation or you know then they had some lean times and you know i always thought he'd look kind of like barney rubble um (laughs) but i don't think he's in their class like to me i think keekley's an easy hall of famer at this point i mentioned yesterday you brought up willis i'm glad you did i thought there's a little gap there i think there's more of a gap than i think you do but i also wrote an article over the summer saying willis would have been in this year for me, I mean, if I had to pick five guys from the eligible dudes, Willis was going to be one of them, and he didn't make the finalists, which I think is crazy. So obviously, I'm very high on them, on him. Thomas, to me, is a, a whole nother tier. I mean, I think he's a different beast than these guys. You know, just comparing them directly to Keekley, I had some tweets about that. Nowhere close to the coverage player or the range. I mean, the speed let alone the size. I mean, a really good player. I mean, it sounds like I'm bashing this really good player. I just don't think he's on par with Willis or Keekley. 
Really quick here before we get on to maybe a couple of Twitter questions and look at some of these Centennial Hall of Famers. Saw a report today about Ben Roethlisberger, a Steelers owner, Art Rooney, said the team still doesn't have a concrete timeline for Big Ben's rehab. Have you heard anything there? What do you expect from Ben Roethlisberger going forward? How should the Steelers attack the quarterback position this offseason? Should they be looking hard at potentially his replacement? I don't think, um, by all accounts, I don't think they're particularly worried. My hunch is Mr. Rooney just said that uh, because th there is a checkup coming up soon. That I think it's like a week or two from now that they'll know a lot more. That's just the, the, the you hit this this portion of the rehab and then you, you'll know a lot more, whatever that date is. Um, that hasn't happened yet, so it's not like he's talking out you know the side of his mouth or anything. I just think they don't know yet, but I think by all accounts. They have very high um, chances that he's going to be back and be the same guy. However, I will say, I mean, I thought he's declined a little lately. I think Eli's been done for two years. I think Rivers looks about shot. I mean, Brady, Breeze, Rodgers have shown some rust. I mean, that age of quarterback, it wasn't a good year for them. I mean, I'll just say that. I mean, yep. the, those 38-plus type of dudes, it, they kind of showed some warts this year. And you see him on the sideline, he looks like he's carrying a little bit of weight. <laughs> and yes. uh, if you ever seen Ben in person, he is a big man. I mean, big hands, powerful. If he wanted to, he could be 300 pounds in a couple pizzas. You can see the end of that era of quarterback. It's going to be a new era of yeah. QBs, and it's it's coming. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not sure if Philip Rivers finds a job this year. That's where it gets tough is when the team yeah. that they're connected to and Eli Mannings of the world, when the team they're connected to that has that love for them when they're not there anymore, who would actually Sign believe that they're the guy that's right. going to lead them at that point? So that's that's right. where the question and that's where probably the end comes for some of these guys. Okay, let's talk Centennial Hall of Famers next. I want to get your thoughts on some of these Centennial Hall of Famers, Matt, but quickly, a football-adjacent question on Twitter from Justin. What are your go-to food and drinks when watching football? Normally <laughs> wings and ribs and beer type of person. Um, for me, Matt, I am locked in with a computer and taking notes when it's a game that I'm, I need to cover and speak on, like a 49ers game or uh, maybe you know some of these bigger playoff games. I'm pretty locked in all day long because we need to talk about them here on the show. But if it's a situation where I don't have to work and it's not something I have to cover, big Mexican food guys. So Chili Verde Burrito, my number one favorite, definitely would hit that any day, including game day. All bets are off. But I, I you know, pizza and beer is like that's that's where you start. And if someone has some more interesting ideas, that's fine. I don't want to do a lot of work either. So I don't want to like uh, cook a whole bunch of stuff. I would rather somebody bring me food and drinks than me go have to make it myself. Yeah, I wish I had a better answer, too. I mean, I don't go out with my buddies for Monday Night Football. I don't go to the bars for Thursday Night Football. If an NFL game is on, I am in my Lazy Boy with my laptop. I consider it work. I'm lucky enough to call that work. It's awesome. I mean, I love every second of <laughs> right, it. Right, exactly. But, I mean, I don't prep anything, that's for sure. Bless my wife's heart. She's wonderful. Um, she doesn't cook very often. But if she does, it's on a Sunday. And maybe she goes to the grocery store that day and makes a big meal. So that's great. And they just hand it, you know, throw it at me in front of the TV. Wonderful. And like if I go out to dinner, 
the night before, or if we get pizza the night before, I always get way extra, so I'll eat it all day Sunday, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to make chili or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, I got a big old water and this huge Yeti that I'm, you guys sometimes hear me sip, and it's next to me, and sometimes a cold brew coffee if I'm dragging a little bit, but other than that, yeah. it's whatever's available and easy. Oh, iced coffee? I'm all about that. I will have a, a black iced coffee. In fact, well, I've got a warm coffee with me right now, but nice. um, yeah, iced coffee is great to go with football, and I don't want something messy. Wings is not something I want no. over my hands. I've got to type on a laptop, and I'm trying to watch a game. And Anyway, before we get too far off topic here, we got to talk Hall of Famers. How do you feel about Jim Covert, offensive tackle from the Chicago Bears, as a Hall Good of Famer, Matt? I thought he was, of this crew, I thought he was as worthy as any um, uh, circling it back home. I mean, he was somewhat of a legend. Those seventies, eighties pit teams were kind of like the U. People don't remember, but I mean, they were pumping out linemen like crazy. And besides Bill Fralick, he was kind of sought after as maybe the top dog of that crew. Stepnoski was another one, you know, that were really transcendent type college players from you know the the school I used to work for in my hometown. And was really good with the Bears, so I had no problem with that at all. And it's hard with guys that you didn't see a lot, and I don't remember watching. I remember Jimbo. I don't. I don't remember watching a ton of him, and specifically as a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And he stopped playing in what 1990, so I, I didn't really get to see a lot of his career. But you can sort of reverse engineer Hall of Fame offensive lineman. Walter Payton had a lot of holes to run through, and Walter Payton could create a heck of a lot on his own. But he probably had some people that were pretty good blocking up front for him. Yeah, and he was always considered the best lineman of that team, too. Right. So um, came out, out as a first-round pick. Had a pretty good pedigree to him as well. Winston Hill, offensive tackle for the New York Jets and Los Angeles Rams from 1963 to 1976. No comment. I mean, a couple of these guys that age and older, I frankly don't know that much about. Um, I, I did have a good conversation with someone on the radio yesterday, though, that I thought was noteworthy is unlike the the pro the pro baseball hall of fame, I think the pro football hall of fame was created in like 65 or so, you know, and obviously the no brainer guys would get in, but a lot of these names that I kind of make fun of, you know, from the thirties and forties would have been in long ago. If the, if they had been created back in 1940 or whatever, you know, if you're pumping in five at a time from that era. Yeah. So I get why they're doing what they're doing with these guys. I mean, the the the, the whole Hall of Fame was created kind of late. Yeah, and I love yeah. that they're doing that. And if they deserved it and they were the best among their era, get the guys in. And yeah, absolutely. It's just hard for us to comment on it like Duke Slater, an offensive tackle for the Milwaukee Badgers and the Rock Island Independents in 1922. Yeah, and it, it's not like... I can tell you more about, I know way more about football and baseball, but I can tell you more about Trish Speaker and Hannes Wagner and Christy yeah. Mathewson because right. of stats and legend, you know, these old football dudes, they're tough. Yeah, there's no football even, cards. Even, even the from film, you can't even tell who's who. <laughs> yeah, you can't. It's just like a, a muddy <laughs> right, group of guys muddy. that were all similar size. They, they weren't as big and small uh, comparatively right. as they are now. They all, um, they all look the same, like they were playing a muddy rugby match and Everyone's wearing the same color uniform almost. And hey, two-way players too. So yeah, come on, playing a 60-minute football game every snap, both sides of the ball. Wow. Yeah, different game though. Here's a guy we remember, Harold Carmichael, wide receiver for the Eagles. Played a year with the Dallas Cowboys as well. 6'8", 225. He's, he's really 6'8", too. I mean, he's huge. Think about a 6'8", receiver run. Like Mike Evans is big. 
he's six five. Right. You know, I mean, this guy is like a power forward size. When I heard his name, my first thought was, I'm shocked Carmichael got in over Clifford Branch. And I still think Branch should have been one of the 10. But I kind of did a little digging on Carmichael. His numbers for an era when they didn't throw very much, he caught a lot of balls. And obviously a freak of nature stood out. I mean, so I'm cool with it. I mean, he's really 6'8". I mean, we talked about Calvin Johnson and big receivers He's not as rocked up as those guys, but he's 6'8". Imagine covering a guy like that that can move. Top 30 all-time in touchdowns, as you would expect for a guy who is 6'8". He has the same amount of career touchdowns in the NFL as Rob Gronkowski. Wow. And and again, it was a different era. They didn't throw the ball a ton back then, but when they did, they threw it to Carmichael. Here's one that I love. Steve Sable, president, and he was the founder, right, of NFL Films. Uh, his dad, Ed, was, who's okay. in, and the, Steve did tons, and he's actually the more recognizable of the two. I mean, NFL Films changed the world. I mean, it, it was gigantic for promoting the NFL and seeing it in a different light, and um, the autumn wind is a raider, and, you know, the ball spinning in the air at a slow motion and all the different things they used to do. And, and I heard Greg Cosell, who's worked for NFL Films forever and was really close with Steve, saying, you know how hard it is to to do a do something that already happened. You know, like they're they're not pr- projecting the future. They're telling you about the seventy three Raiders or whatever. You yeah. know, like and, and making it interesting. You already know who they who won and lost. You know, so um, I think they changed the world and have made the NFL much much bigger than if they didn't exist. Absolutely, so great. And you wish it existed even a little bit sooner. We might know more about some of these old time yeah, players. Right. Here's a guy that I remember from t- the TV show Webster, Alex Karras. But, and I always heard about, hey, Alex Karras, he was also an NFL player. Oh, really? He was a Hall of Fame NFL player. Yeah, I mean, I, he's more than just Webster's dad. Um, I My impression of him was he was a, a menace as a defensive tackle who got suspended for gambling some sort of something or other, and that kept him out for so long. And then he got kind of pushed under the rug. But his play suggests that he's a Hall of Famer, from what I understand. Here's a Pittsburgh Steeler, Donnie Shell. Yeah, and I think Shell's deserved. Um, this is going to sound a little biased, and frankly, it is. I've sat down with Donnie one or, once or twice, and he's joined our radio show. He's really impressive, really knows the game, just finished basically a career, he's working with the Panthers. Um, but I think he was one of the guys that, we can't put another Steeler defensive player in from the seventies. You know, like I think we've hit our quota with green and Lambert and ham and blunt. And, you know, I mean, but the Donnie kind of got pushed away. kind of like some of those 60 Packers. The last one I want to bring up here, by the way, Max speedy is a great name from the 1946 <laughs> to 1952 Cleveland Browns. Uh, he played a defensive end. I don't know. Uh, oh no, he's a receiver. Yeah. He's a receiver. Okay. White out. Yeah. I mean, with a name like yeah, Speedy, Ma- I'm Max Speedy. Not right. <laughs> can't, can't be a guard. Well, it kicker. said end. It said end is his position, but I was like, a oh, defense. That's end? what they okay. called wideouts. Yeah, <laughs> right. I've heard good things. I don't know much about him to be honest either. But I've heard that he's of the of the twenty finalists. Almost everyone that I respected thought he should be one of the ten. Uh, here's the one I wanted to, to ask you about, Paul Tagliabue. I mean, does every, every basically every commissioner is going to get like Roger Goodell's going to get into the Hall of Fame, right? When you're a commissioner for 20 years, you're going to get in. He was commissioned from 89 to 2006, and the NFL boomed during his time. So uh, you pretty much got to put those guys in, right? 
Yeah, I mean, they just did so much for the sport. And not to mention, he did a lot for the game before he became commissioner. You don't just fall out of the sky and become commissioner. I mean, it's like becoming the mob boss. I mean, you got to do a lot of hits and become the capo and move on all the way up and earn your stripes. So he did a lot of things in the league office before becoming the commish. And I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I'm not sure changing it, but if you're, if you're the commish for eight plus years, you're going to end up in the hall of fame. And some people didn't like Tagliabue's name being in there. And the commissioner is a position that uh, sort of has a target on his back and Roger Goodell, when he gets in, there's going to be some people that do not like that because there's some people that aren't fans of old Roger Goodell, but uh, he'll get in because the NFL booms and uh, those, those guys are going to vote him in for sure. Right. I mean, think of, and I'm sure Forbes could do this study, but pick your favorite organization or whoever you guys root for. What was the Chicago bears worth the day Tagliabue took over, and then what were they worth the day he retired? A heck of a lot more is, is the, 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 the end of the answer. Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. You're yeah. right. I mean, a gajillion dollars more. So that in itself, thank you very much. Let's keep this train rolling. Was there a better investment in America than buying an NFL football team in, say, the late 70s, early 80s? <laughs> right. I mean, it's recession-proof. You can't lose them. You can be you can be the Bengals and be bad at your job, and you're still going to be oh, yeah. a gajillionaire. I mean, you could be the Browns and just fire head coaches left and right and still be swimming in it. Okay, Matt, we're out of time here. Friday's yep. show, we will make our picks and preview those NFC and AFC championship games. Packers, 49ers, Titans, Chiefs. Tomorrow, right here, Locked on NFL.